Galatians 5, Galatians 5, and we'll look at verses 7 to 12, continuing in our series, Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a white paperback Bible in, on a, a bench nearby you. Uh, you can take that Bible, turn to page 567, 567. Turn to page 567 and look at Galatians 5, 7 through 12. Uh, the chapter number, 5, that's the big number, 7 through 12. Those are the f- smaller numbers, um, 7 through 12. And we will read. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and joy. For This is the voice of our God. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for these words um, that the Apostle Paul wrote that are God-breathed, Spirit-inspired, authoritative, sufficient words that pierce our hearts with the truth of the gospel. So we pray that you would do that through these words now. Uh, Lord, would you draw us to repentance? Would you uh, deepen our trust in the person and work of Jesus? Would you uh, work in us, strengthen us during this time, sanctify us in this time to be good hearers of the word and doers of the word that go from here to proclaim your glory to our neighbors and friends and family and co-workers and, and all that we come in contact with. Would you work in us during this time together? Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Um, so some of you might be familiar with Eric Little. Eric Little, uh, spelled L-I-D-D-E-L-E. L, Eric Little. Uh, Little was a Scottish athlete who lived from 1902 to 1945. He was an Olympic runner uh, in, in, in Scotland, uh, and he, he won a gold medal in the 400-meter race in the 1924 Olympics, and in the, he won a bronze medal in the 200-meter race in the 1924 Olympics. Um, and most importantly, Eric Little was a Christian. Um, maybe you've heard his famous quote, uh, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure, uh, which is funny because all I feel when I run is that like side stitch thing. I hate running. Um, I can say I've done it before, but I don't like it. Uh, if you aren't familiar with Little, um, you, you should really hear his story. I, I mentioned that he had a gold medal in the 400 meter race and a bronze medal in the 200 meter uh, race, but he actually didn't typically compete in either of those races. Little was best at and trained at the 100-meter 
race. Um, but a, a big piece of his story is that in, in the schedule for the 1924 Olympic Games, the 100-meter race actually fell on a Sunday. It fell on a Sunday. And little, due to his uh, convictions, he would not run uh, the 100-meter race on that day because he believed that Sunday was a day set aside for worshiping with the church and, and for rest. And so many across the nation of Scotland kind of rose up in indignation. They were angry with, with uh, Little. Uh, they were outraged. They were frustrated that Little would not run in the Olympics and represent their nation. Uh, the newspapers blasted him. People, when they saw him on the street, would throw, you know, tomatoes and other fruits uh, at him. And uh, his friends and his traders tried and tried to convince him to run the 100-meter race, but he stuck to his convictions he stuck to his convictions. And so his trainers and he decided that he would try for the 400-meter race and the 200-meter race instead because those races fell on a different day. They didn't take place on a Sunday. And even with, amazingly, even with minimal prep time and, and training, Little ended up winning medals in both of those races. And so everyone was, was very, very happy with him then. Uh, but then everything changed again after the Olympics were over. The people of Scotland kind of grew frustrated with Little again because instead of staying in Scotland and, and being this you know, kind of famous Scottish athlete with worldwide recognition and fame, Little had decided to be sent from his church to be a missionary in China. Um, he, 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 he didn't stick around to do the, the Wheaties box thing or um, to, to do the, you know, all the all the fame and glam of being a, a famous athlete, stick around and do any of the things that his countrymen expected him to do. Instead, he left Scotland for China in 1925 and ended up staying there till his death in 1945. He was sent to China by his church and he gave the rest of his life to China as a missionary and ambassador for Christ. And before he left China, he announced to his fans and followers these words. He said, it has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home the gold medal. But since I've been a, a young lad, I've had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I've run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. And so this man, he was well familiar with the physical extremities one faces when running. It's awful. It's, you know, it's easy when you first start, but to keep running and, and to keep going, e even after the burning lungs and the burning legs and the mental battle you face and just thinking, surely this has to be over now, the temptation to stop just short of finishing. Well familiar with all these things, he compared the Christian life to running a race. And of course, he wasn't the first to make this comparison. The Apostle Paul talks often about the Christian life as running a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 25, he exhorts the, the church family in Corinth. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And likewise, in Acts 20, 23 to 24, Paul testified before leaving the church in Ephesus to go to his almost certain arrest and, and eventual martyrdom, saying, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course or, or finish my race and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In 2 Timothy 2, 
In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says to him, as, as death approaches, he's facing, de- death is coming soon. And he says what we all hope we can say at the end of our lives. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a thing. Long-term, law, lifelong faithfulness in running the race of the Christian life. But in our text this morning, I, I imagine with, with tears in his eyes, as any pastor would, he writes to this church in Galatia, and he says to them, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's concerned. You know, they, they, they were running well. He, they, continu- they started well, and he, he wants so desperately for them to continue and to say in the end that they have finished the race and kept the faith. I, indeed, that's why he writes this letter in the first place. He wants so desperately that they keep running. They're in danger of falling short of the finish line. He wants so desperately to see them persevere. And thankfully, we get to listen in on his passion and pleading this morning because we often need to be reminded to keep running ourselves. We need to be reminded of what is involved in our continuing to run the race because the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a 100 or 200 or 400 meter race. It's a marathon. As one pastor put it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what the Christian life is. It's slow, it's continuous, it's persevering, it's a persevering run. And we see three necessities to keep running in Galatians 5, 7 to 12 here this morning. First, to keep running, we need to keep hearing God's call, keep hearing God call. Two, keep holding to the pure gospel. And three, keep trusting in Christ alone. Keep hearing God call, keep holding to the pure gospel, and keep trusting in Christ alone. The Galatians, they began the race well, but they've been tripped up, and so Paul exhorts them to keep running and expresses his confidence that they will. But to keep running well, they must and we must keep hearing God call, keep holding to the pure gospel, and keep trusting in Christ alone. First, keep hearing God call. Paul says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now, I want to draw your attention to this word call here. This word calls you. It's a very important term in the New Testament. And it's actually not the first time that we've seen it in Galatians. In Galatians 1.6, Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, often when uh, the, the average person thinks of the idea of God calling someone. They, t- they tend to think of it in terms of like a specific ministry or a specific job or a specific, uh, you know, relationship that they're being drawn into, whether it be a vocational ministry job or a, a call to marriage or a call to a specific job or something like this. Uh, we, we tend to think of a call in, in that sense. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's one way that Scripture speaks of God calling us. But most of the time, when Paul and the other New Testament writers uh, mean, what, what they mean when you see the word call or called or calling is what theologians refer to as the effectual call, the effectual calling. Um, You might also think of Romans 8.30, where Paul writes of this, this glorious, unbreakable chain of salvation. He says, those whom God predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
this, this effectual call uh, that Paul is referring to is, is defined this way. It's God's sovereign act of ushering us into fellowship with Christ through the means of hearing about Jesus from someone else. So it's God's sovereign act of ushering us into fellowship with Christ through the means of hearing about Jesus from someone else. So if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you are such because at some point in time, you heard the gospel and God used that occasion to sovereignly call you to himself by the power of the Spirit who enabled you to trust in Christ alone for salvation. Whether that hearing took place through a sermon or reading the Bible or a friend sharing the gospel, if you believed what you heard, you have been called. God effectually called you. And notice in Galatians 1.6 how he calls. He calls in the grace of Christ. He calls us into fellowship with himself, not because we've earned it or deserved it, but in his grace. This is a a gift given to us in God's undeserved, unearned kindness toward us in Christ. This invitation, this invitation is in this call is to receive the full and free forgiveness based solely on the person and work of Jesus, which is already so wonderfully gracious. But then on top of that, because we're dead in trespasses and sins and won't respond rightly to the good news of the gospel, God sends his spirit when that word of forgiveness is spoken to make us alive in Christ so that we respond by receiving that forgiveness and repenting. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's given freely at Christ's expense. And so it's blatantly obvious here that what the Galatians were hearing from these Judaizers wasn't a call from God. Okay, this wasn't a call from God. What the Judaizers were calling the Galatians to wasn't the gospel of grace. It wasn't, it was, it was a message of salvation through human effort. They claimed, the, the Judaizers claimed that rather than having to simply repent and trust in Christ to be made right with God, the Galatians had to be circumcised to be saved and to keep the faith. This persuasion, this call does not come from God. God's call is to receive full and free forgiveness. God's call is to become his beloved child. God's call is to be counted righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God's call is to be fully and freely accepted by him on account of Christ alone. This call from the Judaizers that the call to trust in human achievement is a call from Satan. This call of legalism was the call from hell. It was a call to, to, to the Galatians to trust in themselves and their own works rather than in Christ and his work alone. And we face the same temptation today, albeit in, in different ways. You know, it may not be circumcision, but it may be the call to find your identity in the work of your hands, how you perform at your job. You know, it kind of makes or breaks your week. If you do well, if you get an attaboy from your boss, if you, if you finish that project on time, you're on top of the world. If your boss is angry with you, if you don't get your work done that week, if, if, you, if people are outperforming you at work, it, it doesn't just disappoint you. It, like, utterly breaks you. It breaks you. Or maybe it's your call to find your identity in your, your parenting. 
You've set up this, your entire world around this, this style of parenting, the, being the right kind of parent who raises the right kind of kids and others who do it differently. They're apostates and heretics. Or maybe it's the call to find your identity in the things that you own. You're just filling your house full of stuff, your closet full of clothes. You go shopping on bad days to make you feel better. Or maybe it's along the same lines as the Galatians here. Maybe you're hearing the call to find your identity in your religious activity, whatever it is. If it's not Christ, it's too weak and fragile to bear the load of your trust and worship. And so you must continually hear God's call. Notice here how unlike in Galatians 1.6, where he speaks of this call in the past tense, here in 5.7 he refers to it in the present tense. This persuasion doesn't come from him who calls you. The Christian life involves not just hearing that initial call to faith and repentance. It involves continuing to hear that call like even right now. It means continuing to receive from God. It means continuing to walk in faith and repentance. Don't let other voices, other calls sneak in, cut in, and and hinder you from obeying the truth, to hinder you from responding to God's call in faith and repentance. I, I know that these other calls, these calls to find your identity in these other things, it's sometimes loud. But to keep running, we, we have to hear, we have to tune our ears to hear God's call. The most important discipline, I, I tr- the most important discipline that you cultivate in your life is listening to God in his word. This involves showing up faithfully to gatherings every Sunday. Hear the gospel preached to your earballs. This involves living in community, in a city group, in close relationships to others in our church who know you and who are able to speak the truth of the gospel into your life. This involves getting up in the morning and and getting your face in this book instead of on Facebook. It, 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 It involves these things, meditating on it, memorizing it, reading it, praying it, because friends, this book is God's voice. This is him speaking to you. And it's the chief means that he has appointed to keep you running, to keep you persevering in this race. And you can't wake up in the morning and and read your Bible for five minutes and go to church once or twice a month, not be involved in a group, and then watch Netflix for five hours a day and wonder why you're not growing. If we don't get this, we quickly let other voices cut in and hinder us from obeying the truth. We must keep hearing God call. And we must keep hearing God's call because we must keep holding to the pure gospel. Paul continues. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So for a quick little illustration, Paul takes us to the bakery, which is a wonderful place to go. Now, I've never made bread before, but I have it on good authority that when you bake bread, it doesn't rise unless the lump of dough has an active culture of yeast in it. You need the leaven added into the lump of dough if you want the bread to rise. And it it takes just a tiny, tiny bit. It doesn't take much at all. Just a tiny bit will do. And in the same way, Paul says, a little law leavens all when it comes to the gospel, the grace of God. 
And of course, he's thinking specifically of the teaching of these Judaizers. The, the leaven that was spreading throughout the whole lump of dough was their addition of their works to Christ as the basis for their justification. They're being put in right standing before God. The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to be circumcised and told them that they had to be if they were going to be put in right standing before God. And, and just that tiny little addition, that slight change undermines and destroys the gospel of God's free grace and steals away salvation from those who seek it. This is a a serious warning about the nature of theological error. Like leaven in a lump, mixing law and gospel, getting it wrong about Christ, about faith, about salvation, about grace can have eternal and severe consequences. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or maybe you've heard one, one bad apple spoils the whole barrel. So one, getting one degree off true north will get you in an, an entirely different location. As Martin Luther said about this, in theology, a tiny error overthrows the whole teaching. It is absolutely necessary, if we were to keep running, to hold to this pure gospel, to resist any and all teachings that undermine the essential truths of the gospel of salvation by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in and because of Christ alone. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. And True, Timothy was a pastor, and so it was his charge in a special way to do this. But in some measure, it's the charge of every Christian. Keep a close watch on yourself, on your your character and your conduct. Keep a close watch on your doctrine. That is what you're believing and professing to believe to others. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says to test everything, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to the pure gospel. And we see in the text too, that includes things that may be particularly difficult for us and others in our culture to swallow. Notice how Paul says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, apparently... This is Paul responding. Someone had had claimed that Paul was still preaching circumcision as necessary for salvation, like he did before he became a Christian. And Paul says, no way. Here's my proof. I am being persecuted for preaching a law-free, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone gospel, but the pure gospel is what I'm after. I'm not not after a message free of offense. I'm after the truth of the gospel, not a life free of persecution. And think about how easy it would have been for Paul to just make that tiny little change to his message. Think about how easy it would have been to just add this little part in there about circumcision. We must hold to the pure gospel, even the parts that are offensive to us and to others in our culture. A God that agrees with you all the time is not not really any sort of God at all. So we must hold to this pure gospel. Even if the changes seem so slight, it may seem like it's not a big deal. You know, what, what does it matter if we're justified by faith alone or by faith plus this ceremony? 
What does it matter if if Christ is the only way to salvation or just a way to salvation? What does it matter to the gospel if homosexuality is a sin or not? What does it it matter if we just change this part, if if we could could make our message more palatable, if, if we just change this part, we could remain on the right side of history. If we just change this part, maybe we could avoid persecution. Surely it doesn't really matter. But it matters a great deal. It, it matters because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It matters because whether or not Christ is enough is at stake here. What it means to live the Christian life is at stake. Our perseverance in the faith, whether or not we will keep running, is at stake. It matters Because when Christ returns, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And we want to be on the right side of his judgment, even if it means that we're on the wrong side of history now. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 5.10. He's confident that the one who is troubling the Galatians will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So apparently there was a leader in this pack of wolves called the Judaizers. Paul doesn't name them, and, and maybe he doesn't know who this person is, but, but Paul is confident that whoever he or she is, that they will answer to God for their false teaching. What Paul means by this word penalty here is the coming final judgment that we will all face when Christ returns. He will finally and completely expose every error, every false teaching and teacher, and his gospel will prevail and be proven as the truth. And so Christian, I encourage you, hold fast to the pure gospel, keep running, and help others do so as well. Help others who are deceived by false teachers and cults. Don't don't avoid those Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses that knock on your door. Invite them in. Give them a cup of water and preach the the truth of Christ to them. We should annoy them just as much as they annoy us by knocking on our doors all the time. Bring them in. Don't let them leave. Hold on to them. Talk to them. Because there's a judgment day coming. The, the one that is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But until that day comes, Paul has some wishes for what might happen to the Judaizers in Galatia. You might have been wondering if I was going to address this, but verse 12 records his little outburst. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Or in other words, I... I hope the knife slips in one of your little circumcision parties (laughs) and that those who trouble you are castrated. I I know that probably for many in this room that seems a little over the top, a little too harsh. It hurts our postmodern ears. But rest assured, Paul is not threatening them with violence and he's not He's not even being completely serious, I don't think. In his sarcasm and, and symbolism, Paul is basically saying that he wants the Galatians to cut the Judaizers off from their fellowship. You see, in the Old Testament Levitical law, eunuchs were not allowed into the assembly of God's people when they gathered in the temple. And Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed 
or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Of course, that's no longer imposed uh, in the new covenant in Christ's blood. Everyone who has repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus is welcome. But since the Judaizers were living by this old code, by their own standard, if they emasculate themselves, then they would no longer be allowed into the assembly of God's people in Galatia in that old code. So Paul is wishing that the Judaizers were cut off from the local church there in Galatia, which has relevant application for us today. You know, a little leaven, leavening the whole lump is not just true of our beliefs and doctrine, it's true of our local church here. If someone or anyone, even if it's me or or another leader, another elder, a deacon, or anyone in this church begins to deny and undermine the gospel of Christ, and you are to go to that person and you are to confront them about the matter. And if they don't repent, then you take two to three people along with you and you go to that person again and you confront them about the matter. And if they still don't repent, then you go contact church leadership and get the entire congregation in on confronting this person. If they still don't repent, then that person is to be cut off from fellowship in our church. It's not that we avoid all contact with them, but but rather they are to be removed from covenant membership with our body here, and they are not to be admitted to the Lord's Supper. This call to keep holding to the pure gospel applies not just to you personally as a Christian, but to us corporately as a church family. That's why we preach and teach the Bible every week, because we need to hold to the pure gospel. That's why uh, we we, uh, dig into the text when we gather in city groups throughout the week. That's why we have things like creeds and confessions as a church to hold us to the standard of God's word. But there's one more thing this text has to say to us about how we keep running, and it's very important. Because really, what we just discussed in this last point is having right doctrine, which is so incredibly important. But you know, you can have all your doctrinal ducks in a row and be able to regurgitate the truths of the Christian faith, but still not personally trust Christ. In order to keep running, we must keep trusting in Christ alone. And this really gets at the heart of the big deal, the big problem with what the Judaizers were teaching here. It's that they were calling the Galatians to trust in their own human achievement. They were telling the Galatians that doing the ceremonial act would put them in good standing with God. And therefore, that it's what they do that really counts in their standing before God. And, 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 and even if you replace circumcision with uh, anything else, obedience to a particular commandment or an act of spiritual devotion or holding to some political conviction or doing penance or, or whatever it is, the underlying belief is the same. To mix human effort with the gospel of Christ in any form is to trust in your own human achievement over and against Christ and his work on the cross. Legalism is so horrible because legalism is idolatry and it sends people to hell. This is why Paul was so adamant about correcting the false claim that he preached circumcision. He didn't preach the cross and circumcision. He didn't preach Christ and circumcision. He, pre- he preached Christ and Christ alone. As he, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he was resolved 
that he would know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Christ and Christ alone is sufficient to atone for your sin. Christ and Christ alone reconciles you to God and nothing else does. Nothing you can do can make things right with God. Nothing you can do can atone for your sin. And Paul had to choose what his message would be. Would it be Christ and his cross alone, or would it be circumcision and human achievement? And friends, you must choose as well. Will you trust in Christ alone or in human achievement, in your own human, religious or otherwise, achievement? Listen to what John Stott says of this particular text. <coughs> Circumcision stands for a religion of human achievement of what man can do by his own good works. Christ stands for a religion of divine achievement of what God has done through the finished work of Jesus. Circumcision means law, works, and bondage. Christ means grace, faith, and freedom. Everyone must choose. The one impossibility is what the Galatians were attempting, namely to add circumcision to Christ and have both. No, circumcision and Christ are mutually exclusive. Or as Paul put it in the text that we saw last week, if you accept circumcision... If you accept a religion of human achievement, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you trust in yourself, your achievement, religious or otherwise, you will bear the penalty. And I, I know that this is offensive. What I'm telling you, what Paul is telling you, that you are not good enough to save you. You are not smart enough. You are not virtuous enough. Your heart isn't pure enough. You are a sinner through and through, and you've got nothing to offer God that will earn you reconciliation to him and right standing before him. You've got nothing to offer him that will make him welcome you and accept you. As F.F. Bruce puts it, this message cuts the ground from under every thought of personal achievement or merit where God's salvation is in view. Listen, don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your religious achievement. You, you don't have what it takes to make yourself acceptable to God. But what you don't have to make yourself acceptable to God, Christ has. And in his dying on the cross, in his rising on the third day, he shares with you all that you need to be accepted by God. He shares with you, namely, he shares with you himself. He covers you. So that covered in him, in his bloody sacrifice, you come to the Father and you are accepted. You can come boldly to the throne of grace in Christ. He shares with you all that you need to be accepted by God. That's why Paul can say to the Galatians, even in the midst of what may seem like a hopeless situation for this church, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. 
I have confidence in the Lord that you will persevere. I have confidence in the Lord that you will keep running. I have confidence in the Lord that you will finish the race because Christ is enough, because Christ doesn't just make salvation possible. He really saves because Christ really rescues us from the hopelessness of our own achievement. And so for those of you in this room who are not followers of Jesus, I would encourage you, quit looking to yourself. Quit looking to your own achievement for your hope. Quit looking to others for acceptance. Look to Christ and Christ alone. Enter the race. Start running. Forgiveness from God is yours. Reconciliation to God is yours. Freedom from the fear of judgment is yours if you trust in Christ and him alone. For those of you that are following Jesus, let let me encourage you, keep running, stay in the race. Don't get weighed down and distracted from other calls and voices. Keep hearing God's call. Watch yourself and your doctrine. Keep holding to the pure gospel. And above all, keep trusting in Christ alone. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep running, keep hearing, keep holding, keep trusting. Let's pray. Father, we have no power in and of ourselves to persevere, to keep running. We need you. We need to behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We need to rest on Christ. We need to believe on Christ, trusting in him alone. Lord, would you save us from trusting in our own human religious achievement? We need your grace. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.